one, two, one, two. <laughs> Are we here? Wow. <laughs> I I didn't know I started the room and I was uh, trying to start another room apparently. <laughs> I thought oh. it didn't start. <laughs> oh, like, and I, I'm oh. just sitting here. You're um, the whole room. I'm like, I, I am? <laughs> I'm like, where's the room? <laughs> I had to get out the app and come back in. I so we, got you. <laughs> whew, that was whew, that was trying. Oh like, boy, the adventures know. the adventures we have in this uh technological <laughs> madness. And um you know, hello and hi and we've got um we, yes. we've got a couple of dozen subscribers that we need to say hello and give a shout out to and looking forward to more people um sharing in this uh passion that um uh we have for for uh for growing green. <laughs> Grow green. Grow. Grow green with us. And we're, you know, we've, we've spent the last week trying to, um, you know, stay as green as possible. Um, I, I have uh, repositioned a number of my um, uh, 30-odd house plants, house and office plants, and I'm about to um, uh, go out and play in the dirt during the course of the next couple of days so I can reposition uh, what's going on in my outdoor landscape. So um, what, what's, what's happening in your world when it comes to uh, <laughs> growing green? Well, I definitely am um, uh, pensive about, you know, leaving my aloe vera in your capable hands <laughs> as it goes to plant hospital. <laughs> and, um, but I also think that uh, over the summer, we'll be in Louisiana, and I'm interested in getting into some of the things I see at the bayou. Um, and some of the, the the foliage, and understanding what what is um, what's growing locally there. Um, we'll be down in a place called Walwyn, Louisiana, and um, St. Mary's Parish. I'm just curious to see, you know, what kind of shrubs or what kind of plants I can bring back and see if I can grow them here in Philly. Now, you know, that's always um, interesting because I do that wherever I travel. I'm always looking at what can come back and, and hang out in my world. And, um, you know, some things make it, some things don't. Um, you know, there, there are regionalisms. But I will say this, most of the uh, plants, the house plants that are available for um, just uh, p uh, plant lovers to enjoy and um, 
and and you know propagate as best they can i mean most of these plants are tropical plants that have been <laughs> repurposed for um these other environments so um more than likely the the little house plant that you are sticking in a window and making sure is watered properly or um or make you know not necessarily giving it full su- sunlight maybe medium sunlight always read those tags always check out what your plant needs um those plants probably uh their native uh atmosphere is uh is somewhere far from where we're at here in Philadelphia so and i showed you a little something as we went to um one of the gardening the independent gardening centers um uh just a day or so ago i showed you a a a trick that um i use all the time when it comes to identifying uh, my greens or potential greens and it's simply opening up your google app on your uh, telephone on your mobile device opening up your google app and uh going to the camera when you get to your um uh to the search bar and uh put pointing it at the plant in question and hitting the button and google will do a search for the most part it will in at least one take figure out what that plant is by identifying the leaves if it doesn't in one take just do it again but you will get all the information you need when you do a google image search on a plant that you're curious about it'll tell you all the details and then you'll see other people's posts but more than likely you'll see something from um uh professional cultivators uh, about how to take care of that plant uh so that's a that's a a little tip that we all have right there and on us you know you don't have to hunt down someone in the store you can find out within seconds um what it is that you're looking at and whether or not you'll be able to take care of it i used that trick uh yesterday when i was at that urban um a gardening center uh and um there was a plant that I was thinking about and I was like yes and I did the search and as much as I wanted to try my hand with it I decided for the better of the plant and to reduce my stress levels and trying to take care of a a, a type of plant that I always have problems with um the google search the google image search uh helped me make a decision and i kept my money in my pocket and gave the plant a better life although i did talk to the plant before i left it i said you know i like you so much i'm going to leave you to find a better life so we we had our little relationship <laughs> that's funny how important do you think um talking to plants uh, I know my mom would um she had a, a green fist <laughs> so <laughs> father would bring home these plants from um different 
offices or jobs where he was a um, contractor. Uh, he had his cleaning business. And so those plants were, you know, this is in the 70s, they were stuck inside, there was no lighting, you know, it was bad, you know, 1970s office lighting. So they looked dry and brittle and whatever. And he would bring them home and three or four trees that grew to the top of a 12 foot ceiling in the, in the home, in the apartment we had in Orange, New Jersey. But she would spend, I would say 30 minutes, at least a day, talking to every and each plant. And every time she broke a plant off and um, like a spider plant or something, and she was going to, or a fern, she was going to make it repot into its own pot. She would spend extra time talking to the little plants. Um, but the big plants she talked to touched. Um, and I know people, you know, it's part of a joke scenario, but how important do you think talking to plants really is? Well, you know, there's, I guess, you know, there's really no hardcore evidence that talking to a plant will make a difference in whether or not it lives or not. But I tend to err on the side of this is a life form that has relationship with other life forms, a lot that you don't see if you talk about soil and everything else that is literally below the surface. And so I'm quite sure, and it's having a relationship with light, photosynthesis, uh, you know, because it's engaging with the the sun or some light source. Um, And the same with us, uh, humans and people and and folk. I mean, that energy that you're expending by speaking to your plant is being felt. I, you know, equate it to the same as a person who would speak to their pet. I, you know, folk talk to their, now, of course, the response is a little different and you can see it all immediately. Um, but in a plant, you will see it eventually. And there are a lot of little care techniques. I mean, I believe plants respond to music. Um, they respond to the energy of your engagement. Um, I don't necessarily talk to my plants or name them or anything else, but I am having engagement with them. And I'm, you know, usually repositioning them, moving them. A a good way to ensure that a, uh, especially a a plant that has uh, foliage, um, uh, you, what's the big plant now that everybody likes? It's the fig. Um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, is everybody like? Yeah, it's it, it became a um, staple. It's a yeah, it's a fiddle leaf, a fiddle leaf uh, fig tree. 
which is it, it's got these beautiful big leaves it became one of those like you know fashionable showcase plants that that uh, in the last um three right before the pandemic so i'd say in the last five years it became like um just the vogue plant to have the, the fiddly fig and you know it's um it's native like again a lot of these plants it's native to western africa from cameroon to sierra mm. leone and it just grows and it's beautiful but it can be fickle mm-hmm. and one way to uh help encourage its growth is to basically give it a little exercise shake it shake the pot wiggle it because when you think about a plant in its natural environment and all of these plants come from a natural environment they weren't house plants and 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 this this right now this show is based on on our engagement with these little sometimes big sometimes giant house plants um you know in their natural environment they're dealing with the elements uh you know sun wind rain um uh animals mm-hmm. just movement mm-hmm. so you know sometimes if they're just sitting still forever that's not necessarily good for their growth so it doesn't hurt to to wiggle them give them a little exercise shake those leaves up a little bit and and stimulate them um because that's going to that's going to reengage that's going to if if you get shaken you you're suddenly you're you're wondering what's going on you're like hey and so that helps to not just stimulate the 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 plant and what you're seeing with its leaves wiggling um but it it helps with its growth and how it thrives and i'm you know once a week every couple of weeks especially if you've got a nice big solid plant it needs a little wiggle here and there to mm. to give it that umph. Um, you know, I I don't necessarily wiggle little plants, but I move them. Every plant should be rotated. Um, if you if you have um uh you know a plant, unless it has found its space, if it's thriving in a certain position. And leave it alone. And you, you leave it alone. Let it do its thing. The be right. So I think the meat. I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. That, that physical stimulation, physical stimulation. Make a fan. Just a, a regular. Um, uh, house fan, you know, electric fan, and put it on high, and os, you know, oscillate or whatever, but point it at the leaves and give, give that, give the leaves some wind. So just something to, to stir it up a bit. And if you do that, um, like I said, just a couple three times a month, and especially in the summer, I think you'll you'll see a bit big difference in how your house plants respond. Totally agree. Um, one of the interesting things about 
the research to fit the fig tree is that it can grow mm-hmm. up to 10 feet. And I think when you have those type of trees that grow that high, it's uh, really interesting to see what do you do to get sunlight on the top of the you know the tree. And a lot of times, what you just said about um, exercising it, we used to do that with the um, some of the, the stalks of the, I don't know what, what my, I think it was like a, a small mini palm tree or something like that that, that mm. we had. But um, these were office trees that were really bad. But we would, my mother would bend, and had this big um, pl- uh, planter, and we would bend the, the tree down a little bit, you know, um, mm. Sure, it got to the sunlight. I don't. I don't think we had ten foot uh, windows. I think we probably had like eight or nine, but we had high ceilings, so the trees grow fine there. But we would move the trees towards the sunlight, to the top of the tree, and not just make sure the pot at the bottom got sunlight. All right. Yeah, you know, it's um, movement is a, a, a. It's it's what we're doing and. Plants are moving and it's, it's life, you know, as it grows a new leaf, as its roots absorb this water and soil and the nutrients, the fertilizer and other uh, things. It is responding in kind and it is, you know, moving. And it may be imperceptible because you're, you can't, I, although I've got some plants growing right now, some little succulents that are, um, um, when, when baby succulents come up, they're, they're called pups. And I've, I've got these litters of pups now in these little, um, you know, just the small little planters and I keep dividing them up and they keep expanding by sharing more pups. And I am watching them. They're growing so fast that every day I can see the um, growth that's happening there. Um, so it's it's a real, and I guess it's one of the reasons I do it. I mean, I I love the i i i guess the success of watching a plant thrive and make it and then become its next dimension as it grows uh, one big problem though with the the fiddle leaf figs is that they can get so big it it's becomes a, a problem um you know, um, uh, because it can truly outgrow its space. Um, and they don't take too well to pruning. So again, that's where you go into your plant care um, advice and find folk who have had those experiences and the successful tips they've used to help um, prune <laughs> their um they're green babies. And I think part of the, that's a good segue into um, this article that we were gonna talk about 
around heritage uh, seeds and the legacy of keeping a a uh, a plan alive. You know, making sure that 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 lineage stays there. I thought this was a great great article. Um, appreciate you pointing it out. I had never heard of someone who saved seeds. Um, didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> you know, okay. stamp collectors. Uh, I guess around cannabis, I did. You know, I did start to see that probably in the last four or five years of people talking about you know different strains of cannabis and how important it is to have those uh, seeds, those cannabinoid, cannabinoid seeds. But um, did not think about heirloom. Other plants, you know, like in this particular article is talking about collard greens. Uh, but like, I just never thought about that. You know, think about even being able to save some type of um, carrots or, or, I don't know, some type of eggplant that we, we have today that we not, may not have in 30 or 40 years from now. That's a pretty dope, uh, you know, legacy to be able to save something and make sure that the community can enjoy this 50 years from now. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, have you thought about anything you would save? I think I'll definitely, I love Brussels sprouts. So I think I would definitely save some Brussels sprouts um, seeds, but that's just me. <laughs> well, you know, we, as, as, um, uh, as part of the African diaspora, um, we are so familiar with uh, cornrows. And cornrows, um, while they may emulate, uh, you know, the the planting and growing process in its, its own way, um, that was also a way that uh, enslaved people uh, uh, utilized it to retain their agency by... Uh, braiding rice seeds into their hair. And as um, when you go back to um, uh, uh, looking at particularly the, the slave trade of the 1700s and the um, 1800s, um, you know, as these people were forcibly transported, uh, they found a way to hold on to their heritage and braid those rice seeds into their hair, ensuring not only their survival, but literally and figuratively passing the baton forward. And in the meantime, as well, changing the economy of the countries in which they were transported to. So our food culture here in America, in the Caribbean, and in South America is based in large part by that stealth move made by women centuries ago. And that continues to me. The moment I saw this article, I was immediately transported to um, what it is that we have been doing as a part of our legacy forever. 
And this um, article, which um, I don't know if you mentioned it, it uh, published on uh, NPR and its title is A Community of Seed Savers Has a Recipe to Revive Rare Varieties of Collard Greens. And you'll, you'll hear it sometimes that people will, will say, you know, food doesn't taste the, the same or they may be visiting elsewhere. And they go, I don't know why I eat greens all the time. They don't taste like this. Um, uh, here in Philly, I know I lean very heavily towards uh, food from the the Amish farmers because yeah, the totally it different. is it's totally yeah. different. The butter, mm-hmm. the bread, the everything—it's like wow, what you know, what what cow are they using? Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but this story here talks about um um. The, the collard greens, which like any plant, um, there are varieties. And as collard greens have, um, as people have traveled, as people have, um, especially here in America with the great migration, with so many people who um, uh, reposition themselves from the deep south, to the northern states, um, uh, a lot of folk took those um, those seeds, those growing techniques with them and had little gardens. And here in Philadelphia, you see a lot of neighborhoods that are dotted with those gardens, which are also starting to disappear. And uh, these folk continue to grow especially collard greens that you're not going to get this in the store. You're not going to, the commercially grown greens don't taste the same as these heritage greens. And so we've got a dedicated crew of people who are holding on and, and sharing um, these seeds, which is why it's so important that we're doing what we're doing uh, to continue to encourage people to, Uh, support these projects. And um, even if you don't think you can grow it, you, there's someone within your community who is, 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 is a farmer of some type and will try it and what it takes to, to make sure that these connections are made so that our history isn't lost. Because this is American history, too. Exactly. Um, yeah, I pinned the article to the room. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, you should definitely download in app because there's some features you can't see in the podcast that you can visually see in the Fallen app. But to your point, I think that the intentionality um, of someone saying, you know what, this is... Uh, the best I've had or this is the best that we've been able to cultivate this season or this this generation and we're going to take the seeds and save them that's an intentionality that I don't see um, I see it coming back but I, I, I don't think we've had that for a very long time or at least if we did it didn't get past as 10 years between like maybe people did it in the 90s and then in 2000 people stopped and now you know secretly 
um, cycle, life is cycles, is circling back around to where people are saying, you know what, to continue this legacy. And I, I know there's a, um, you know, if, the, if a crisis happens in the globe, there is a, a, a international storehouse of seeds. I believe it's in the Arctic Circle. Um, but I would love, you know, love to even maybe facilitate uh, seed exchanges, you know, where you have, uh, like, I, I don't think I've ever tasted corn from Iowa or Nebraska, as far as I know. And I'm curious, you know, how that corn tastes different, if it tastes different than what we're getting from here on the East Coast. But like the, the concept of the seed and the concept of being able to raise something, you know, at home, um, like what you bought yesterday when I was with you, you bought the tomato plant. I was mm-hmm. like, it was so cool. Um, you know, but those tomatoes are going to taste different from, from California than they are going to taste uh, that are from in Texas. So, you know, the, the, the being able to take those seeds and to be able to say, hey, I, want, I would exchange what we, our tomatoes on the East Coast for your tomatoes on the West Coast. And it's a seed exchange. And it's, it's literally, you know, it costs you less than a dollar to send seeds to somebody else across the country. Um, but being able to even... I don't know, create seed libraries <laughs> where we have, you know, groups of groups of home growers saying, Hey, you know, would you like to uh get some seeds from um this uh this region and grow your own uh greens or grow your own whatever at home? That's where I think we're at. We're we're at a place where we have to grow our own vegetables locally. I don't think we're gonna be able to sustain this international import export you know, structure, as we already see, it's already got major problems now. I can't imagine what it's going to look like in 10 years. And, you you know, those exchanges exist, um, you know, but the information about them um, can can sometimes not, let's just say, uh, break the surface. And I must admit, I was really tickled when the kale um, as a superfood, you know, folk were running around and it's like kale this and kale that. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, you know, as a, as a child, my grandmother was from the deep South. Um, Birmingham was the big city near where she actually grew up. And, you know, there, there were at least, five types of greens that we were eating a week. It was a variety of, of collard greens and kale was a part of that offering. And so, you know, we've always had, um, uh, the, the African-American community has always had the, the wherewithal and the means. Um, sadly, that becomes co-opted and the message uh, gets a little altered. And it's really good to see uh, some attention uh, brought back to the, the heirloom collard green project and, and that attention to why it's important um, because it's not just what we're doing right now. It's for our future. It's for for little Zoras and 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 the ones that are coming along. 
I mean, you've got a young one at home right now who's several months old and is starting to have her own food adventures. And, yep. you know, this, this is, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, to see how that evolves. And we stay on a food adventure, hopefully, if we're lucky, all of our lives, you know, to keep our minds and, and hearts and, and everything open to, um, you know, options. Um, right. I think one of the saddest stories I ever heard was uh, a gentleman, in fact, who owned a, a wonderful deli I used to go to. And um, um, he... <laughs> He said that for the first several years of his life, he would only eat peanut butter sandwiches. And oh. his parents had tried to, um, uh, you, you know, his mother was a great cook and everyone, but he refused to eat and they accommodated him. And sadly, both of his parents um, lost their lives in auto accident. So he was an orphan as a child. And he said his biggest regret was that he never truly ate his mother's food. And so it, wow. it, it lent itself to how he became the kind of, of chef and food entrepreneur. I mean, that's a crazy wild story. But just think about you know, on an, another extreme, that the the food sources that our grandparents, that sustained our great-grandparents, even if we just go back to to the food that the, the folk, the, the folk that were out there as, you know, during the civil rights movement, you know, think about what Rosa Parks ate for dinner. Think about what Malcolm X, you know, ingested. Think about what Martin Luther King enjoyed and those sides, those vegetables and all of that. And there is a good possibility that we will never be able to enjoy those, those types of food. And these are the foods that sustained, you know, warriors in, yeah. in you know, and, uh, and, and I'm just bringing it to, to a limited mindset. We can't, we can go back even further. And so, you know, when you look at the, the, the heritage aspect of keeping um, collard greens, which sounds simple, but it's really complicated just keeping that alive. I mean, you know, other people are fascinated as well and um, do what they can to um, support these types of projects. Um, and, you know, that, that also opens up to the other stuff, you know, what's, uh, what's down below our, our feet with the roots, where, these plants come from. And that was another article that I had sent to you because I was completely fascinated. And in fact, the title of the article says it because I was there. You know, um, it's uh, something that came from the Guardi Guardian uh, from across the pond. Um, 
and it's the title of it is The Secret World Beneath Our Feet is Mind-Blowing and the Key to Our Planet's Future. And, you know, most people pretty much dismiss soil, but we need this dirt. <laughs> it, it grows pretty much everything that we eat. And sure, hydroponic exists and all of that good stuff. But this soil is imperative to our survival. And, you know, we, we need to be more cognizant of it and more aware of the ways that soil itself um, can be uh, uh, diminished and actually destroyed to a point that it's unusable. You know, the beautiful thing about soil is that it is, yeah. um, you, you can you can see the life that's in it, not just the roots from a plant, but all of the organisms and, and you know, so, you know, folk will call them bugs, but all of these life forms that are there, that are beyond our comprehension, and part they're of the so important. Yeah, it's just part of our ecosystem, you know? And it's also a part of, of, of it's the cushion that ensures, um, you know, we have, uh, and not just for plants, but for just our plain old comfort here on this third rock from the sun. Right, right. I mean, soil, soil is is so important, and and I'm quite sure um, most folk have gone this week and not thought one one speck about <laughs> about there... soil. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think that I think that's interesting because I think that that brings up um, to your point about folks going a week without thinking about that. There is a woman in Greenville, North Carolina, that is building out a food science scientist who's building out a plant-based baby formula that is, uh, it's gotten FDA approval and is launching in the summer. Um, and so it's, and to your point, she's using all kinds of plants. Um, we know that the nutrients we're getting from the ground and soil is way less nutritious than it was say in 1910. So I think that, and then I don't know how many people have eaten, you know, a vegan burger or something uh, that was vegan-esque um, or vegetarian this week. But you know, you're thinking about, wow, this is, you know, I could, I could definitely change my diet. I could go vegetarian. And then thinking that, that there wasn't, you know, we had way more nutritious um, soil a hundred years ago. And you're going completely vegetarian or vegan, and you're able to sustain yourself now. But imagine what it would be like, you know, if you had the soil we had a hundred years ago. I think, to your point, people may not think about it, but I think it it, it impacts us almost on a daily, hourly basis. And that's one of the things cool about growing hemp is that um, hemp it has that ability to do um, to bring back that soil. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, we 
in in the United States, um, we were already struck hard um, by um, in the 30s with the Dust Bowls, um, which had just a crushing impact on you, you know social dynamics at the time. Um, it was a, a big part of what uh, uh, of what fueled the depression, and um, also brought another level of awareness to sustainable farming techniques. Uh, those, you know, that was a, a perfect storm of um, of basically overgrowth and some weather conditions that that became um, a, a, a problem for this country for the better part of a decade. It, it took about 10 years to recover from the Dust Bowls. And it, you know, I mean, it, it could easily repeat itself and it does repeat itself. Um, there are definitely countries uh, uh, in this world that are, are trying to um, just, you know, restore uh, their, their soil and their ability to grow um, food there, not importing, not, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you can reach out within your own borders and support your population. Uh, when that is interrupted, you got problems, uh, you yeah. know. And we're we're about to experience that right now, even with what's going on um, uh, with the the friction between uh, Russia and Ukraine, because uh, Ukraine was a huge part of the um, global breadbasket, you know. Um, and now you've got farmlands that have been obliterated. Um, and it's going to, again, that you don't bounce back from that. It's going to, it, it, it will take easily decades um, to recover that um, agricultural resource. So, you know, the importance of soil um can can never uh, uh really be overlooked but i was really happy to see this article uh bring it up close and, and personal um and um it it makes uh it it it, it you know because it, if we may go into the other uh article that uh, we had discussed as well it it opens up the door with where this country is with that green lawn. And um, if you, you know, are outside of a true urban environment and when you get into that suburban life, especially, um, you know, those pristine lawns are a part of, of the dynamic. And because of so many things that's going on, uh, out west, especially uh, with uh, uh, drought and water uh, issues, um, 
you know, people have had to adjust their relationship with uh, uh, the green lawn standard. And so I'm real happy to see um, uh, people look at other ways to engage with their yards. Um, and now they're exploring more and they are, are growing more flowers, letting go of grass, which is basically just a carpet. It's just a green carpet. Um, and they're finding other ways to explore diverse uh, planting options. And that was a story and, that I know the Associated Press uh, put out a little earlier this week. So, And letting go of Roundup. You know, I think that that's that type of stuff that people have used for oh, decades God. that is killing us. Um, yes. You know, everything happens for a reason in my book. And the droughts are horrible. And definitely don't want anybody to go through having a water lack or a, de- a water desert at the same time that it's happening to your point about our relationship to our yards and what grass is really there for and how are we maintaining that grass and the, you know, um, the aesthetics of ego attached to the American <laughs> vision of this lawn versus the aesthetics, aesthetics attached to uh, being able to live a healthy life <laughs> because you haven't used anything that is uh, chemical and you're not constantly exposing yourself, your neighbors, your children to these horrible chemicals that you know have caused so many people uh, pain and cancer and, and all kind of other issues. I was shocked. I think I saw an ad from Roundup a month ago, and I was like, "Why? Why are we people? Why? Why are people even like? If I was an ad agency, I would just be like, I can't, I, I can't take that money. I'm good. You know, it's just like, no, this is a bad chemical, and this is not. I mean, no matter what they do to change, change the name, change the brand, you know, whatever it is, it's like, come on, we need to let our look. I believe we need to let our grass grow and go back to the old, you know, lawnmowers where you just pushed. And it is a rotating blade and you walk the lawn and you cut your grass and then you let it. And that was it. You know, just don't let it go re- to become weeds per se. Um, that's a whole nother thing though. <sighs> but yeah, we, we have this, 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 I don't know, egotistical attachment to a well manicured lawn. Unfortunately in the hood, we're not really, you know, we're not really, in the hood, people just want you to keep your yard looking decent. <laughs> yeah. But when you get to suburban America, it's a whole thing with that front yard. It is. And that's it's what's a, funny to me about the front yard. Uh-huh. Because the backyard, you know, we went we went up to uh, the northeast of Philadelphia. I don't even know how they call it northeast of Philadelphia. That's just call it the northeast of Pennsylvania. <laughs> but... Um, that backyard is where the raccoons come in and where the where the uh, the deer come in and the hawks. <laughs> you know, they're not landing on people's front yards. <laughs> so they're in the backyard. And, you know, I think the Americans don't really care about I'm a backyard person. I care about what my backyard looks like. I'm I'm not 
the front yard, yeah, okay, great. But, you know, that's where I come in through the front door, and that's that. I'm not looking at, ooh, look at the front yard. But, yeah, where we were at, everybody's front yard was looked the same. Same length of the cut, same, you know, nobody had anything that was wild growing. I didn't see one bush of blueberries or, you know, uh, a, a rose garden type of, or even a, and my grandmother grew some grapes in, in East Orange, New Jersey. We had a grapevine. And they went from the front of the house all the way back to the back of the house. And, you know, some cool stuff like that's not what you see in suburban America. Right. And, and you know, there's, just to offer a tip, you know, there's um, there are some real easy, inexpensive, and um, just good for you and the environment ways to develop a weed killer. You don't have to buy Roundup. Roundup is a poison. You don't, you, you know, it's, it's a little different if you're out there farming, you know, acres and acres. And the dynamics that a commercial or large scale um, uh, agricultural developer has to deal with I'm I'm not even there. I'm just, this is real mom and pop. And for the most part, there is no reason whatsoever for um, um, Roundup and, and those other chemicals to be in your home. I mean, if you, you have weeds and they come up and they can be an annoyance, you know, you can simply... You can grab a, a spray bottle with, you know, fill it up with, or not fill it up, but put in, I'd say a third of that spray, a simple regular spray bottle, a third of it uh, with some white vinegar, then just throw in a splash, a squeeze of dishwashing soap, Dawn or or, uh, you know, Myers Clean Day, wherever you're at, and spray away. The big point, though, well, no, since you're not mixing anything else, put, put, in, put in as much vinegar as you want, but it's that vinegar and the dishwashing liquid. The vinegar does its job by drying out the plant. The dishwashing liquid helps the vinegar stick to the plant. So in the middle of the day, when the sun is at its highest at noon, go out and spray that area until it's saturated. Within hours, your weed will be gone. The big, and the beautiful part about that is that it's only gonna kill what it touches above the surface. It's not going to harm the soil. You can replant in that area. And, you know, once the big part of that, the weed is gone, for the most part, you may get some grow back. But if you maintain a, a schedule every time you see something green coming up there, hit it with that vinegar and soap, dishwashing soap, there you go. You can maintain. And it's, you know, and 
just think how economical that is. I mean, you can still buy a big giant thing of vinegar for like three to five bucks at Walgreens. I think you can get a a gallon of white vinegar for about five bucks or something like that. And um, you probably got some dish detergent at home. Repurpose a bottle and have at it. Make it well, we may be coming towards the towards the uh, <laughs> end of things. Let's um, I guess let, let's uh, let's go out with a smile, um, because I don't know why I didn't get the memo, and I don't think you got the memo about World Naked Gardening Day. Nope, didn't did not do that. I got a text <laughs> that showed me the video. Uh, one of our beloved uh, news anchors here in Philadelphia talking about the uh, apparently there is a naked gardening club in Philly, which I've never mm-hmm. been invited to, nor didn't even know existed. <laughs> hmm. Well, you know, another if, reason not if, to use Roundup. That's another reason not to use Roundup. There you go. You. you <laughs> You don't want your body bits encountering mm. this poison. And you know, while while we did mention um uh the um uh the noted um uh news anchor here in, in Philly who who became a bit viral for his response um to um World Naked Gardening Day, if you go back a, a little further, back to an another one of um our lauded characters uh, from uh, the Philadelphia region and actually was born in Camden, that being Walt Whitman, the poet. Um, He uh, was, let's just say, a person who was at one with nature. He spent a lot of time uh, uh, out there. And one of the quotes that um, I I found from Walt Walt Whitman was out there gardening naked? Well, Walt Whitman was doing a whole lot of things. Oh my God! <laughs> okay. Walt, 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 Walt is a character. <laughs> I, I'm learning that. Did not know that. Oh no, no question about that. Um, that's a whole nother. <laughs> but here's the quote: Perhaps, indeed, he or she to whom the free, exhilarating ecstasy of nakedness in nature has never been eligible and how many thousands there are has not really known what purity is nor what faith or art or health really is. So Walt Whitman was definitely a person who embraced nature (laughs) with no interruptions no, no. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, um, now I'm not saying we should run around our garden without our clothes, but, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it doesn't hurt to feel a leaf on, on, on other parts of your body beyond your hand. So put yeah. your, you know, smell, when you smell the roses, be careful about the thorns, but 
feel the smoothness of the petal on your nose. You know, <laughs> engage with a, a leaf and feel the, the texture and the smoothness and try other body parts. And you may find that, you know, having a, a green massage isn't a bad thing. <laughs> Hashtag uh, be green by yourself. <laughs> and, well, with yourself. <laughs> well, be green with yourself. And hey, do it with a friend. I'm just saying, right. you know. And don't, I uh, think don't, for, don't run through your guard, your your external garden without um being aware. <laughs> definitely for 2023, I'm gonna take part of the naked gardening day. <laughs> the first Saturday of May uh in 2023. So shout out to all the naked gardeners. <laughs> hey, you matter. You know, exactly. fig, fig leaves, fig leaves are here for a reason. <laughs> so and well, that <laughs> this has well, been Grow Green with us. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode five. <laughs> Indeed. Keep growing. Don't forget all things are possible when you're bold enough to believe. Be well. <laughs> Amen. Feel your vibe and find your tribe. <laughs>